0: What is? What is? What is is? is biblical counseling?
1: Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness.
0: The light bulbs are going off in my head. (laughs) This is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church,
1: this never resonated with me. (laughs)
0: This is Transformed, and now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Master's University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Transformed. I hope you've been joining us for this last series. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and we have been working through shame, regret, And today we are going to get to guilt. And I have done my best to say this is more like a continuum, a progression of regret and shame that leads to potential guilt. So welcome. I know that shame and guilt, it's something that's really been part of humans' struggle from day one. Remember, Adam and Eve hide themselves in shame after sinning against a holy God. And it's such a foolish thing to hide yourself from the Lord, but it is representative that shame often makes us want to hide. So the key takeaways from the last two episodes are to be able to decipher between things that are sinful and they're worthy of me repenting of, or regrets that are not sinful. And, you know, we would just kind of, we would love to have a mulligan, I guess is the best way to say that. And all of us have that in our life to a certain degree. Some of us, we replay it more than others, but we all have a mulligan, a, a time where we would like to redo that particular scenario. But in the last episode before today's, I did say that, you know, there are certain things where shame is actually a good benefit to your life. And we live in a society, a society I added. A, Syllables to that, by the way, I think there's only society, but feel free to say sis society, but we do live in a society that has a desire for there to be no shame. and you can't shame me. there should be no shame. I should be able to live my life, however I want to live it. So how dare you? Who are you to shame me? Now, we don't live in an honor shame culture in North America. and some of you may come from that background with an honor shame culture. Uh, that's not us in North America. We're, we're kind of like the antithesis. We want there to be no shame, and if you try to shame us, we will reverse armbar you and put the shame on you. But biblically, there is a place for shame, and biblically, shame is intended to move you further toward repentance. And if you are genuinely guilty, as we will discuss today, then there's an action that needs to be taken. But when you go to the Word or when you go to the Scripture with your sense of shame or your feelings of shame, when the Bible says you're free, you're free indeed. There is no reason to be ashamed. So some of us have to be able to see, look, the Bible hasn't condemned it. You are not in a shameful place. So you accept that. You have to accept it. That. That's what God's Word says. And not only have to, but I think you get to. It's freeing to hear that I don't have to be ashamed of something I'm not guilty of. I wasn't wrong. I didn't do anything there. They send, not me, and I have clarity. So today, guilt. Uh, I'd like you to grab your Bible and let's go to 1 John. I'm going to park in chapter 1 for a second. But guilt is part of our human experience. In a sense, you're born into guilt. We have inherited natures coming from Adam. So we are born in sin, which means not only that we have inherited the guilt of sin, but we have also inherited a nature that is predisposed to sin. From day one, we were born guilty, but we compound that with our own personal actions of sin. The culmination of understanding shame evaluated with the word moving to potential guilt is being able to say, okay, when I am guilty, what does that mean practically? When I am guilty, what does that mean? Well, if you're okay with me saying we're all guilty and we've all been guilty at a certain point, that does mean you and that does mean me and that does mean that we've all experienced this. First John chapter 1, verse 10 if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us if if you've ever thought like i've never been guilty of anything you're the most guilty you're the one that probably has the most guilt still uh, this blindness to our own sinfulness is a dangerous thing so we are guilty And when we sin currently, not speaking of being born into sin or an inherited guilt that we received at birth, but when when we currently sin, we've experienced shame and regret over something that we did that was sinful, I think you have to see that, yes, that's that's part of our human experience. We do sin. Verse 5 of 1 John 1, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to look with me at 1 John chapter 1. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. This is the reality that if you are harboring sin because you are guilty, then your relationship with the Lord is not good. I'll say this in counseling many times to folks that have personal sins that they have unconfessed. I will say something along the lines of, hey, you cannot say that you're good with God. So it's not only that you're struggling with this personal sin right now, and you are, but it's that your relationship with the Lord is disrupted. If you understand this correctly, while we walk in darkness, we cannot walk with God who is light. He's perfect. He's pure. uh, There is holiness in Him. That's what light is intending to connote here. So we want to not only be free of guilt, but we want to be right with the Lord. You see, shame and repentance that move us to understanding our guilt, again, that's not a terminal point, as if this is the dead end. You are guilty, now depart. That's not the way that the Bible is intended to communicate, that your guilt should lead you to repentance. Remember if you were here for last episode 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is thankful that the Corinthians had shame and that shame moved them to repentance, if it's godly shame. So you are guilting, uh, you are guilty, excuse me, of breaking God's commands, according to First John, then the remedy is, is going to be found in verse eight and verse nine. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reality is that if we say we are not sinning, okay, there's a problem, I've just said that, but what your guilt is intended to do is to move you to confession and repentance. When you realize that you're guilty of something, the next step is not to hide. The next step is not to suppress. The next step is not to ignore the conviction that's taking place. Those are responses that we see throughout Scripture, and they never work. They're never going to be that fix. The next step is to repent and confess an acknowledgement of that before the Lord. We'll talk more about repentance in a future episode, but it means to turn away from that sin. It means that you acknowledge that it was indeed wrong, not only in that you've turned your actions away, but from your heart moving out. In biblical counseling, you could say, hey, Dr. Gifford, you're wrong. Don't do that again. And and inwardly, I'm thinking like, whatever, I'm not wrong, but okay, I won't do it again. Fine. I am not genuinely repentant on that occasion. But when from the heart I say, you know what, I have offended a holy God who is light while I was walking in darkness, and I acknowledge that through confession, so I repent of that. And that holy God who is light is also a faithful God who forgives. So when I confess my sin, I am restored back. That's what guilt is intended to bring this sense of I must be right with God again. Unconfessed sin, according to the scripture, does a couple of things, and I'm going to pepper you with different verses here. Proverbs 28, 13 says that you will not prosper. It brings destruction if you have unconfessed sin. Psalm 32, 3 through 4 says that you will experience physical problems. David says his strength dried up. It's like he's dehydrated. You will experience sleep loss because of your guilt. There are physical problems that can develop through unconfessed sin. Think of ulcers, sleeplessness, so forth. Psalm 66, 18 says that your prayer is going to be unheard. Not that God did not, he is not aware of you praying. Uh, that would relate to his omniscience, but God is very aware, but he's not responding. This is something that's taught regularly. First Peter 3, 7 tells husbands that if they do not live with their wife in an understanding way, they're sinning against them as a co-heir of the grace of life, then their prayers will be hindered. So what does that mean practically? When I harbor sin, it brings destruction, potential physical problems. My prayer life is kaput. I got significant problems, even to the point of Jesus saying in Matthew six fourteen, if I don't forgive others, if I'm harboring bitterness and resentment, something we've already covered on Transformed a couple of episodes ago. If I'm harboring those things, then the result is my relationship with the Lord is disrupted because He will not forgive me. I'm stunted here in my spiritual growth because of my un- unconfessed sin. At no point in the Scripture is unconfessed sin commendable. It is always seen as devastating. But the beautiful news is that through confession, you can say with the psalmist, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven so let's take a break when we come back we're going to talk about confession and the freedom that comes with acknowledging your sin repenting of it and then turning from to move forward in faithful living we will be right back
0: all right well we're going to take this break as dr gifford said and boy has he been providing some pretty valuable insights into dealing with guilt and shame but we want to take just a second to highlight a couple of resources during this break that we have at transformed.org that can provide even more help to you if you're currently struggling with this issue one in particular is a book by lou priolo titled bitterness and boy this is this really captures the essence i think Of what dr gifford has been discussing dr priola says quote bitterness is the predictable outcome when we respond sinfully to adverse circumstances caused by others it's an emotional root that springs up and bears the fruit of resentment hatred anger jealousy gossip slander complaining and many other sinful attitudes and behaviors those powerful words and and it's definitely relevant to the topic at hand of those that are struggling with guilt and shame You can check it out at transformed.org. It's Bitterness by Dr. Lou Priolo. And hey, while you're there at transformed.org, would you also please prayerfully consider maybe supporting us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner. As a gospel partner, you enable us to continue producing this show and all of our other resources that apply the truth of God's word. We want to continue equipping Christians to finding biblical solutions. And we can't do it without you. So if you would prayerfully consider joining us on this mission, you can get all of the info at transformed.org. And those of you who are also interested in maybe taking this a step further and also becoming biblical counselors yourself, hey man, I commend you for that. Our churches desperately need more biblical counselors. And if you're looking for foundational training resources, one in particular I would like to recommend is Scripture and Counseling by Bob Kellerman and Jeff Foring. One of the things they say in the book is, quote, Scripture provides God's sufficient words that thoroughly equip us for every good work, including the good work of counseling. God's words in Scripture are living and active. Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and counseling in righteousness. Amen to that. And you can dive into this book and many other counseling resources, all available at transformed.org. And now let's get back to the man himself, Dr. Greg Gifford. This is Transformed. Transformed. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford.
1: All right, welcome back. We have been talking about guilt and shame. And I have to remind you of a couple of resources that have just been awesome. First of all, the store transformed. I said this last episode, and I was reviewing it again this past week. The store is just this place I can go and trust the resources that are there. So I commend it to you. I commend it to you to share with others. And if folks are looking for a resource, point them that direction. The second thing that I commend to you is Skylar Bibles. They've graciously sent me a Bible to review, and that Bible has been amazing. So this is the third Skylar that I own. Skylar is the premium Bible maker, and I use the English Standard Version, as you guys have probably seen on the show. If you haven't heard of Skylar Bibles, you need to check out evangelicalbible.com. Honestly, I believe that your phone should not be nicer than your Bible. I'm not going to make that the 11th commandment of the Old Testament, but if we do take God's Word serious, I think we need to have a Word, a Bible, that is a serious tool to help us study it. So check out Skylar Bibles whenever you have a chance. Now, Let's pick up with the thought of confession brings freedom. You know, I have heard multiple people say in counseling, and this is when it's like been heinous stuff. So think of an adulterous situation. That's the one that I'm recalling. Uh, a, A lady who was committing adultery, she said, you know what, whatever happens, I just feel free that I have repented of this relationship and that now I can come back. And be right with the Lord and know that I'm not hiding anymore. There is a sense where, when we acknowledge our guilt as being wrong and when we let go of trying to hide and cover it anymore, making the fig leaves like Adam and Eve did, that there is freedom that comes with confession. Psalm 52, excuse me, Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Maybe you've experienced that where you've been stuck in personal sin that's been very private, it's a private battle, and then boom, the Lord brings it to the light in His grace. I think you say something like, you know, it stinks and the consequences I'm still facing, but there is a level of which I'm happy that it's known and I can be free now. That is part of God's design. God's design is that your guilt that is addressed through repentance and turning to Christ for his work on your behalf to make you right with God that would set you free if you haven't experienced that yet there's a sense in which hey praise the lord but then there's also a sense that maybe you haven't experienced that bad of a sin where you just feel totally free now that it's it's gone i don't wrestle with that anymore when that takes place i want to talk through the idea of how do we then move forward when we're not proud of what we've done and how do I trust God's forgiveness over my own senses or feelings of forgiveness? A couple of thoughts on that. Well, number one, the scripture says, if you confess, 1 John, that he will forgive. In other places, Ephesians 4.32, God in Christ has forgiven you and he will forgive you. You think of Matthew 6, that God doesn't forgive those who are harboring resentment and they're harboring sin in their life, that your relationship with the Lord is disrupted. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means your fellowship with God is disrupted. So God does forgive you when you have confessed and repented. Now, that is not when you have confessed, repented, said three Hail Marys, done four good deeds, and donated a lot of money to the church. It's not a works based forgiveness. Just like your salvation, you cannot earn God's forgiveness. You confess, you repent, you turn, and your behavior should indicate that you are genuinely repentant, but you don't earn that. So you may have to, at a certain level, say, you know what, I wish I could just write a check to be free of this, but that's not the way that it works in God's economy. The way that it works in God's economy is I'm to repent and confess and move forward, yet I don't always feel forgiven. At times, I still feel gross. Or at times I'm still embarrassed and ashamed of what I've done or how that currently affects me. But the reality is, as you're hearing this, if you have confessed and repented, you are not guilty anymore. Romans eight one. there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have turned from this, you are in Christ, you're resting in Christ's work to cover you. No matter what you're feeling, you are not guilty. Are you comfortable saying that? Some of us, that's really hard to say. And I get it. I get some of us have actually done some pretty awful things. And yet, like the Apostle Paul who did some awful things, we can also say, you know, I am forgiven and I trust the Lord on this one. In the end, you have to hear me on this. Your feelings are not the authority on whether you are guilty or not guilty. Your feelings may indicate the truth, but they're not the authority. And there are times when your feelings are not accurate. As Christians and in the realm of biblical counseling, we do our best to remind ourselves that our feelings are important. God has made us as emotional beings. We reflect Him in our emotions. It's part of being an image bearer. Yes, yes, yes. But we also know that our emotions are not authoritative. And due even to the sin nature, our emotions can be tainted, misdirected, misinformed. So, practically speaking, I have to learn to say emotions. Even though you may feel guilty right now, you have been declared innocent, not based off of your works, but based off of what God and Christ has done for you. I am not the ultimate judge of myself. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3, at the very end. I do not even judge myself. It doesn't mean I'm acquitted. It doesn't mean that I'm free just because I don't judge myself. Rather, the ultimate voice is the Lord's opinion last part of verse four, it is the Lord who judges me. God is the ultimate judge. And when God, the ultimate judge says you're free, do I trust what the ultimate judge says? Or do I say, no, I don't feel free. You know what? Ultimate judge of all the earth. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like (laughs) this is the way that Abraham addresses him. Genesis 18, the judge of all the earth. You know what? Judge of all the earth. Uh, I'm not so sure about your judgment. I still feel guilty. When I say it that way, I don't mean to be trite, but some of us are really wrestling with agreeing with God's decision and God's verdict. God says not guilty and we say I still feel guilty though, Lord. Like what? How can I still feel this way? In in that that tension, you have to trust what the Lord says over how you feel. You have to trust the verdict over your feelings. Confession, repentance, turning from your sin means not guilty anymore, and I'm not excited. There are aspects of my life I would still love to redo, but when God says I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. There's no shame. There's no regret. I've done all that I need to do right now. Maybe I need to continue to bear fruits in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3, 8, but I've done all I need to do. I don't need to do something else to be less guilty. I am guiltless. So, what about false guilt If you've ever heard that term, it's actually a psychological term, false guilt. It corresponds more to what the Bible teaches as a conscience issue or a conviction that comes from the conscience. Romans 14, toward the end, verse 23, says, yeah, there are things that if not done in faith are sin. That is true. But biblically, you're either guilty or you're not guilty. There is no nebulous gray area of false guilt. So, false guilt is either no guilt, you're not guilty, or it is you are guilty and maybe you have sinned against your conscience in that way. And that opens up broader conversations that we can address in the future. What about consciences that are sensitive or consciences that are hypersensitive? What do we do on those occasions? Well, on those occasions, we have to say something like, God's word is the authority, and I have to train my conscience back to God's word. So, there may be a sense in which I am convicted over something the Bible does not condemn, and I need to attune my conscience back to what the Bible says. So in the short term, I am guilty because I'm sinning against my conscience, but the long game is that I would retrain my conscience to be more accurate to the Word of God. So there's no category for false guilt. You're either guilty or you're not guilty. And if you have those feelings of guilt, as many of us do, you go back to the judge of all the earth and say, do I trust God's verdict about me over my verdict about me? And when you say it that way, it becomes a matter of faith and trust in the Lord. And guys, associate with the apostle Paul. Look, he, he had a very checkered past. Remember, I mentioned Peter. I think some of Peter's sins are some of the worst sins of betrayal, and not only one betrayal, but multiple betrayals. Betrayal to a young child. A young child is asking, and Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus. Peter had to have felt such shame and a cowardice, and yet he was restored back by Jesus himself at the Sea of Galilee. So look, there are figures in the scripture that can associate with your actions that you're not proud of, but recognize once God has declared you to be free and not guilty anymore, you're not. So we got to stop here for today. Remember in sum that when we are guilty, we confess, and confession brings freedom. And even if I have those sensations or feelings of guilt, I must then take God's word and say it is more authoritative than my own feelings. Thanks for being part of this episode. Let me pray for you as I close this out today. Lord, it is no small thing to talk about guilt before a holy God. And this guilt has eternal ramifications. I pray that the listener who hears this would never, ever flippantly approach their sin as if you were a God who is only love and not a God of justice and wrath. And yet, you have created pathways for us to be restored to you. So may we genuinely understand your scripture so that we could be restored to you, to be guiltless, and to ultimately honor you in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, of course, is transformed.org, and it is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and church family. Also, would you prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? And until next time, go serve your king.